1: Cue the Thwog, fighting for justice radio. Don't underestimate the other guy. Robert, Mark, and Reed. You have the right to remain silent. I'm 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10 They see me rolling. They patrolling and trying to get me right. Law's Fighting for Justice Radio analyzes civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and covers all legal current events. Each week, Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice features newsmakers, attorneys, media personalities, celebrities,
0: experts, business people, and so much more. Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice. Straight talk, no nonsense. I'm going
3: to make them an offer again
0: with you. Now it's time for Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio. Here are
1: your hosts, Robert, Mark, and Reed.
0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for listening, as we really do appreciate it. We have a fantastic show for you today, and remember to check out our website at kuziklaw.com. That's k-u-z-y-k-l-a-w.com, And let your friends know about the show. We'd love for them to listen, too. They can listen to our podcast on iTunes at, and at www.blogtalkradio.com slash kuziklaw. Here on Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio with Reed Brightman, Robert Ryan, and Mark Leonardo, we analyze hot civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and we cover legal current events. Today we've got six great stories of the week, and then after that we will be speaking with our expert, about a very interesting case that fortunately just got dismissed, Uh, but it's a case of government overreaching, which nobody's going to be surprised about these days. Our first story of the week is another Tesla story. Tesla's autopilot investigation can change the nature of automobile recalls. It's a very interesting story uh, that arises from the unfortunate accident where a driver who was driving his Tesla on autopilot, was killed when the Tesla could not tell the difference between the white side of a truck and the sky. Robert Ryan, tell us about this story.
1: Well, that's right, Reed. You know, this is an outgrowth of a story that we covered uh, last year when our show first began and involved an Ohio man, Joshua Brown, who was driving his Tesla in Florida And as you indicated, uh, a tractor-trailer made a left turn in front of him uh, while he was driving with the autopilot feature engaged. And uh, the car just kept driving and went under the tractor-trailer and uh, sheared the top off and killed Mr. Brown. The allegation was made that Mr. Brown actually was watching a Harry Potter movie um, and wasn't paying attention to the autopilot feature or what the car was doing at all and uh, the National Highway Tra- Traffic Safety Administration immediately uh, opened an investigation into the Tesla and the autopilot feature uh, concerning whether there was a safety issue posed by the use of the autopilot and whether a recall was going to be necessary. And you may also recall that there were several other stories around this time, very well publicized, involving crashes of Tesla's involving the autopilot feature. There was that accident in Texas where the car drove into the guardrail repeated times while the guy was wiping down his dashboard, and a case in Wyoming where uh, Tesla drove off the road and traveled out across the prairie and hit a bunch of fence posts, uh, also allegedly why the autopilot uh, was engaged. Uh, NHTSA now has closed its investigation, though, and made the determination that there is no safety hazard posed by the autopilot feature and that no recall is necessary.
0: What are, is is Tesla going to change the way it discloses it discloses these features and kind of I think that drivers need to be educated that this is not the autopilot that they think of like on an aircraft where you could take your hands off and stop looking um and you know go to the bathroom or something you 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 really have to watch what you're doing
1: well, that's very interesting that you make that point Reed, because <clears throat> If, if you recall when we talked about those stories last time, a large part of the issue or controversy surrounding this feature was exactly that that the name autopilot was really confusing the consumer with autonomous uh, or driverless cars cars that have been in the news lately that require no driver involvement at all they 're totally autonomous, and as a matter of fact. Um, Tesla has been urged by several governmental regulatory agencies to change the name to create any misperception or misapprehension on the parts of consumer concerning the use of this feature. But there's other interesting things that, about this uh, lack of a recall notice arising from the NHTSA investigation into the crash, the fatal crash involving Mr. Brown. What uh, Tesla actually did was it came, with a nu- it came up with a number of upgrades to the autopilot feature, um, one that requires uh, the driver to maintain his hands on the wheel, that disengages the feature if the driver does not keep his hands on the wheel, uh, warning features, and also an upgrade that might allow the autopilot feature to to now detect crossing traffic, which it was well known it was not able to do previously. And a factor in NHTSA's, uh, that's what we call the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA for short, was that Tesla actually did a wireless download to every Tesla on the road uh, containing this software upgrade. And this uh, this download and this upgrade actually would have prevented the crash involving Mr. Brown. And a factor in te- in uh, NHTSA's determination not to impose a safety recall was the fact that Tesla has this ability to do a wireless download to upgrade the safety features of various features on its cars. Um, And this may actually change the face of auto safety recalls in the future. As cars become more and more sophisticated and more and more uh, various functions of the vehicle is utilized by onboard computers, those computers are connected wirelessly to the manufacturer and to dealerships. And so when an issue arises, as it did in this particular instance involving the Tesla autopilot feature, the manufacturers can come up with corrective uh, measures and download them automatically into the vehicle without this laboratory process of issuing recall notices, bringing vehicles back to dealers, and all this other kind of stuff that actually is somewhat ineffective because many people never follow through on these recall notices and actually get these problems fixed. So even though NHTSA determined that the Tesla did not constitute a safety hazard because, after all, even though it was called autopilot, it requires driver involvement. And since this was a left-turning vehicle and the autopilot feature was known not to be able to detect cross-traffic, there was no safety issue posed, an interesting factor in test in uh, Nitz's determination was that because this download had been accomplished, whatever safety issue posed had already been eliminated by the manufacturer, which may be something that we're seeing more and more in the future as cars and manufacturers become more sophisticated.
0: Yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. It, it, you know, Tesla's a great company. I love the fact that they can upgrade these cars uh, wirelessly and they probably don't even need consent, which I think is interesting. Uh, it's probably granted when you buy the car but uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens as that technology continues to develop and tesla certainly seems to be leading
1: well the, you uh, made charge you raised of- an interesting issue about consent you know Uh, One of the ways that Tesla protects itself, because many times in in all of the crashes I've already mentioned, claims were made against Tesla that, you know, this product was defective and that, you know, Tesla should be responsible for either the damages that resulted or the damage to the vehicle itself. And Tesla was able to conduct its own investigation without ever examining any of those vehicles simply by downloading uh, the contents of, of its various onboard computers in the vehicles. And this is done, of course, impl- without, uh, without any overt consent because when you buy the vehicle, you consent to Tesla's right to access these onboard computers to get data concerning uh, speeds, breakings, uh, the use of the autopilot feature. And Tesla has used these sort of sub-ROSA investigations conducted wirelessly to defend itself against claims by motorists who were involved in crashes with Teslas. Um, And obviously that's something that perhaps these motorists were not aware at the time they purchased the Tesla or at the time these accidents occurred, that Tesla was going to be able to utilize these information sources to rebut any contention by these motorists that the vehicle was defective or dangerous, or that Tesla is somehow responsible for for these crashes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. All right, let's uh, move on to the next story. Uh, Mark Leonardo has got a lawsuit that's demanding that Apple lock its iPhones to stop texting when the iPhone is being driven in a car. Uh, I find this very interesting. I think it's a big reach, but I, as a consumer with uh, three teenage children and one. Who's gonna be a teenager soon? I would love to have something in in their car that prevents them from getting cell phone calls, making cell phone calls, texting, receiving texts. I would love to block it out. And I actually did the research on it, and it's a felony to put a blocking device in your children's car or in anything. You can't use a blocking device. Um, but it, I, I get this is this is a way of looking at it a different way, of trying to get uh, Apple to be responsible for these these accidents caused by texting and driving. Mark, tell us about this story.
2: Yeah, as you may recall, we discussed another case like this a few weeks ago when a Texas family had been rear-ended by a driver who was going about 65 miles per hour, and that driver admitted that he was distracted looking at the Apple FaceTime feature. And uh, But this is um, this is a little bit different. This is a class action, and this was filed in Los Angeles Superior Court this past week, and it seeks to hold Apple accountable for a number of automobile accidents that were caused by drivers that were distracted by their iPhones. Uh, The folks behind the lawsuit, they're hoping to force the company to install this new safety feature that you were just talking about on its devices so that it prevents users from texting while they're driving. And according to the lawsuit, Apple has possessed this technology uh, that requires to be implemented um, since since 2008, and they were granted a patent back in 2014, but they obviously haven't used it. And their big concern is that if they employ this technology, that they would lose market share unless, you know, all of the other companies did the same thing. Um, so this complaint, it seeks an injunction that would halt the sale of all iPhones in the state of California that do not come with such a lockout feature, as well as a court order forcing Apple to immediately update all of their iPhones that are currently on the market, you know, kind of remotely, like we just had in, with the Tesla idea.
0: But so, that's not – that's that's – the The thought that Apple has not implemented this technology because it's afraid of losing market share, that's not something that Apple said, right? That's just some allegation in the complaint. We have no idea what Apple thinks, right? There's a lot of
1: allegations in that complaint that, that bear scrutiny. One of them is that the technology exists. You know, companies apply for patents. Uh, for all sorts of ideas before they actually come to technical fruition. And it's been widely reported that Apple, in fact, lacks the technology
3: that was the subject
1: of that patent application in 2008 and even the patent that was granted in 2014. That even though the, there might be a concept that even could be uh, technically feasible, actually down, actually making it uh, part of the product on a mass-marketed item like the Apple iPhone is years and years away from being technologically Uh, feasible. And that the very premise of this lawsuit perhaps may be misguided because this, this supposed technological uh, feasibility that Apple has that's suppressing because of some monetary concern, in fact, may not even exist in the first place. But, Mark, is, isn't there a, a, a bigger issue posed by these types of lawsuits or these types of claims? I mean, there's a thousand things that can distract a driver while they're behind the wheel of an automobile. And are we going to hold the the manufacturer of whatever this particular distraction may be liable because somebody is distracted while they're uh, supposed to be operating an automobile. It just seems to me to be a larger issue posed here about responsibility by the consumer to use uh, to use whatever a product may be in a prudent fashion such that, you know, accidents don't happen when you're driving a car.
2: Well, I, I agree with you. It's funny because one of the articles I was reading had like a whole bunch of people commenting on it. It was like almost universal where everybody was complaining, Are you, you're going to hold the manufacturer liable. When you know you shouldn't be texting and driving, it's just you know we all know this. But you know they also say uh, the statistics are that at any given moment there's one point. Where's my little cheat sheet here? One point five million people at any given instant that are texting while they're driving, right this second.
1: While they're driving.
2: Yes, one point five million. Right this second while you and I are
1: talking. Everybody texts and drives. Driving down the road in Los Angeles, you look across the person next to you. I, I was driving down from the mountains yesterday, and there was a lady past me going about 95 in a Honda Pilot. And as I glanced over, I saw her that she had her head down and was rapidly using her thumb on a cell phone that she was like, had propped on the steering wheel. Um, 95 miles an hour. I mean, anywhere you look, you see people texting. It, that's just—it's a, a fact of human nature. There are already laws against distracted driving. There are laws, new laws now in California that prevent any use, uh, hands, handheld use of a of a telephone or other smartphone device while driving. Um, how is it Apple's fault that people people uh, use these devices when they're not supposed to?
2: Well, I agree. It's, I don't think it's their fault. I, I think that's, it's kind of frivolous. But what they're trying to do is get some kind of, hopefully some kind of legislation or court orders. If it was if it was legislated against all companies, I could see it happening. And with respect to your concern about technology, I mean, I think you use Waze, and I know Reed does and I do. If you start trying to type in information while you're going, it's going to pop up and say, uh-oh, are you a passenger? So they they probably do have this technology just based on the speed of the, you know, uh, through GPS of the device itself. So if you're moving, they could tell, the the machine can tell.
0: Um, Oh, that's a good point. That's true.
2: Now, you mentioned NHTSA. They've had some statistics as well, and they say it's six times more dangerous to text than it is drinking and driving. You can imagine that. Wow. And they said in in one of their studies, they said the average person takes their eyes off the road for 4.6 seconds to read or receive a text or to make a text. And if you're driving 80 miles an hour, that comes out to nearly two football fields. So you can you imagine driving two football
1: fields on a highway with essentially being blindfolded. Yeah, that's it's like driving with your eyes closed. It's, amaz- it it, it's incredibly dangerous, and it's one of those things that's so incredibly dangerous but so universally done that it just kind of boggles the mind. Yeah, and they
2: said that uh, 26% of all car accidents are cell phone related. So, you know, a quarter of what's going on out there.
0: I gotta say, I, I like I like the technology that I actually found, um, where it's blocking devices, it's jammers, and you can you can make cell phones completely stop working, no phone calls, no texts. Uh, but the problem is, there's two problems. Number one, the, the I, I looked at these things, even though they're totally legal, and uh, you can get them out of. China and other countries where they're not illegal and uh, the, the smallest range of, of of functionality of these things is about 15 meters so that's about 45 feet and that's too much you know um, and some guy in Florida had been arrested because he was so tired of people uh, driving and texting and uh, that he he set up a jamming device near his house, uh, and uh, they by an intersection that where he, he felt threatened, and and they finally tracked it to him, <laughs> and so he was arrested and he was fined like forty eight thousand um, dollars. I would love for for them to for someone to make a jamming device that has a range of two meters. You know so you you install it in the center console behind the radio of your car uh or put it in the glove compartment or something like that and it it stops phones from working when it's when when the car you you have it on when the car is is when the car's on or when it's moving uh and I think that would be great, but the state of the law right now in the United States is you cannot use a jammer unless you have a permit for it from the f c c and they ain't going to give it to you. Um, well, well, we'll have to see what happens with that, Mark. I, I assume you, your opinion on this lawsuit is that it's going to get dismissed, right? I, I don't see how they can. I don't
2: see it going anywhere. I don't know. see it going anywhere.
1: Well, I mean, what about the other people in the vehicle who, may, who are not driving and who want to use their cell phones?
0: You know, I mean. The, just because,
1: just because you know a vehicle is at use in a car doesn't necessarily mean it's being used by the driver. And some sort right. of technology that detects motion such that it, we know that the, the car is in motion at the time the cell phone is attempted to be used, that seems to be a very discrimin, you know, non-discriminatory thing against people who aren't driving and who do want to use the phone to make calls or to text or do whatever it is we do with our phones.
0: Yep, I get it. But, uh, mm-hmm. A, that, a person talking on the phone in the back seat or in the passenger seat could also be distracting to the driver, number one. And number two, because people just are not following the law, um, it, you just might have the un, unfortunate collateral damage of basically saying you can't use a phone if you're in a car. And I would rather have that than the state of affairs we're suffering now, which is tens of thousands of accidents and, and tens of thousands of fatalities caused by people using their phone while they're driving. So we are going to move on. You're listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio. We're going to move on to Robert Ryan's story about a video raising questions about killing by California police. Uh, this, this involved a legally blind man who suffered from schizophrenia who was fatally shot by the police at a California gas station. Robert, tell us about the story.
1: Well, some of you may remember or some of our listeners may remember about this incident back in November of 2015 in Fontana, California, where police, uh, responding to a uh, report of a possible armed robbery in progress, we, uh, went to a convenience store combination gas station uh, and confronted an individual named James Hall. Now, he's a 47-year-old legally blind and mentally ill man, Um, actually well-known to the neighborhood and kind of a local character, Uh, lived with his parents, um, didn't work, obviously, you know, disabled, Um, and – uh, there was some sort of confrontation, and the report afterwards that the police by the police was that he was armed with a knife and a rock and that he was advancing on the officers, and they, fearing for their lives, opened fire. Uh, and that was kind of uh, the story that was promulgated at the time. Well, his family hired a rather well-known uh, Los Angeles area uh, criminal defense and civil rights attorney, Mark Garagos. And uh, he has filed a lawsuit against the Fontana Police Department and the individual offices involved. And one of the things that he was able to uh, gain access to as a result of his lawsuit was video footage from the convenience store that shows pretty much the entire 17-minute confrontation between James Hall and the police. And, man, if you looked at this video, you would go, wow. I mean, this completely contradicts the story that was promulgated by the police. You can see that at the time he's originally shot, he is not moving at all and that his hands are visible and there's nothing in them much less a knife or a rock. I mean, it completely disproves the story that was promulgated by the Fontana police. And Mark Garagos issued a, a press release after this video was distributed by his law firm saying that if you, there was no conclusion other than that this was like a cold-blooded execution. And when I first heard that statement, I mean, I know Mark Garagos, and he's a, he's a great lawyer and, and a very effective advocate for his clients. And I thought, oh, there's more of Mark's kind of hyperbole. But after I actually watched the video, myself. I'm telling you, he's not too far off the mark. It shows these police. I must, there must be seven or eight of them. They have a taser, they have a police dog, and they all have their weapons drawn. And they corner the man in the back of the store. You can actually see him retreating from this crowd of policemen. Somebody fires the taser, the dog is barking, they're all screaming. I, I don't know why they train the police to scream like this because it's, it's like it just escalates the situation. And then there's a shot rings out and then a whole bunch of other shots ring out and the guy's dead on the floor. I mean, it's just it's just the most shocking and disturbing thing to see this type of force brought to bear on somebody at least if you're looking at this video doesn't appear to have posed a threat to anybody and the actual alternative measures that were less lethal such as the use of the taser or the use of the dog is in full is in full view and uh you know there's been a number of police force uh use of force experts who have viewed this video and have weighed in on this issue and they all are all shaking their heads saying this one is going to be very difficult for the city of fontana or the fontana police department to defend based on the contents of that video
0: Wow. Did you think that uh, there will be some criminal charges against the police officers involved in the shooting? Well,
1: you know, I mean, p- prosecutors you, – you have to understand, prosecutors uh – they have. They're in a very difficult position when it comes to criminal charges against the police. First of all, for the, any prosecution office, the, the the police are their witnesses. I mean, that's that's the witnesses they put on the stand every day in order to in order to convict criminals of the charges that they're <coughs> brought against. The police officer is the main witness, and so there's this inherent conflict between the the uh, prosecutors and the police department when it comes to seeking criminal charges for this type of behavior. Right, and. It's also we've seen that it has they haven't had much luck when they have tried it in various jurisdictions where uh, criminal charges have arisen from these controversial police shootings, you know, that the police officers usually acquitted um, so I don't know about uh, criminal charges, but, I mean, I'm, from a civil liability standpoint, it just looks to be, it looks really bad. But, you know, it raises another issue, and we've talked about this, Reed and Mark, on several of our, our previous uh, shows when we've dealt with police shootings, these controversial police shootings, which is this really unfortunate intersection between law enforcement and the mentally ill. You know, I mean, this guy was schizophrenic. He was mentally ill, aside from being legally blind, if you can believe that, on top of it all. And, you know, we just see that when these types of individuals interact with law enforcement, the law enforcement personnel just don't seem to have the proper training to be able to deal with You know, members of the public who don't instantaneously obey their commands. And the situation seems to escalate because the police sort of view that as a challenge, challenge to their inherent authority and escalating into maybe a challenge to their personal safety. Because after all, somebody that doesn't follow a command to show, show one's hands, for example, could be not showing their hands because they're concealing a weapon. Um, and, we, and we just see, like, this, 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 terrible, this terrible convergence of events where mentally ill people, when they interact with law enforcement, so often it, it, it turns out to be a fatal encounter. And whether that uh, can be addressed by increased training or increased sensitivity or review of the tactics or, you know, more disclosures concerning who these individuals are, I, I don't really know, but it, it, the situation has really gotten to be out of control in my mind just by looking at the number of stories that we see and that we've dealt with on this radio show in the past several months.
0: I think it's terrifying. I mean, I, I'm a definitely an advocate of if the police tell you to do something, you do it, and you do it quickly, because I know that they're nervous, because you do have a lot of incidents where police get killed by terrible criminals, and they're nervous. And even on a, a nice, bright, shiny day in the middle of the afternoon, they can do a traffic stop. Shouldn't be very dangerous, and they end up dead. Um, so I, the, you're talking about people with guns that are nervous, and you should just listen to them. But on the other hand, you know, if the guy is unarmed and his not and his his hands aren't moving, and the police just shoot him, that's. A, that's an execution, and those people, sh- the police, should be prosecuted, and the family should be able to bring a humongous lawsuit against the police and the city that employs them. Um, and then, it, you know, the divisiveness and, and the the riots that that and that happen as a result of this. I and mean, look what happened in Ferguson, and look look what happens, you know, when people get really upset about these things, and they have every reason to. It's it's really concerning. It, it just really is. All right. Let's let's uh, let's move on to Mark Leonardo's next story. This is a $5 million verdict against an assisted living community uh, following the elopement and death of a resident. Mark, tell us about this story.
2: Right. Uh, the, the jury rendered um, a decision against a facility called Timber Ridge up in northern California, and they awarded $2.1 million for the wrongful death of one of their guests or residents, I should say, and then $2.5 million in punitive damages. And then on top of that, there was a penalty of $400,000 for elder abuse. And this was a suit brought by the daughters of a woman. Uh, her name was Marjorie Fitzpatrick. And so what happened is Fitzpatrick, uh, she was 90 years old, and she was a resident in the memory care unit at Timber Ridge. This is back in 2013. <clears throat> she exited the building through a door, and which the, you know, the facility thought it was locked. And she went out into the courtyard, and when she was out there, she fell and broke her nose and, um, and her wrist, and then she suffered in a subarachnoid uh, hemorrhage and uh, hematoma, you know, brain injuries. And then she was out there for about 45 minutes, and then they found her, and then she was hospitalized and died within a, less than a month later. And so the daughter sued for elder abuse, and their contention was that the staff members of this facility, they were not well-trained, uh, they weren't capable of caring for someone with that level of dementia. And they on that, that particular day, they didn't provide Fitzpatrick with her anti-anxiety medication that would have prevented her from her wandering behavior. <clears throat> and then on top of all that, what Timber Ridge did, they were found to have destroyed a video and an incident report in, in an effort to cover up the whole thing.
0: Uh, so
1: that was the cause of the punitive damages. Movie. I was I, ask. when I was yeah, when I was looking at this story. You know, punitive damages it's a it's a difficult it's a higher standard as as we know as lawyers uh, to get punitive damages than just to get compensatory damages as a result of somebody's injury or accident. Um, and that that seems like quite a chunk of money there. I was wondering how they got to to uh, you know malice, fraud, or oppression, which you have to show in order to get damages uh, designed to punish somebody as opposed to just compensate the injured person. So I guess uh, destruction of willful destruction of evidence would uh, <laughs> yeah, probably qualify.
2: Yeah. That would help, but also, you know, with elder abuse, you have the clear and convincing standard as well. It's not the preponderance standard as we usually have.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And,
2: uh, yeah. So it, these cases are. You know, that's why these cases are really hard. The elder abuse cases. Anyway, uh, I mean, it, it seems like a, it seems
1: like a lot of money for just like leaving a door unlocked. You know.
2: Well, here's the, here I was going to tell you here's what really happened though. Um, they, she wasn't provided her anti-anxiety medication, and she became manic and agitated. And what they were able to see from what was left of the monitoring system, that she was going around, she became very re- restless, and she was trying to leave the facility several times throughout that day, trying to open the doors to get outside. And despite this, despite the fact that when she did go out in the courtyard, an alarm went off, it took them 45 minutes to find her. And, you know, that's, it was really, you know, more or less gross negligence, I think. And, uh, you know, the facility says, well, you know, we've been around for 17 years. We've never had an incident before, and we regret this. Um, but, you know, the jury, they backed up the plaintiff's assertion that the facility should not have admitted her in the first place because they didn't have the proper staffing or training to care for patients with her level of dementia um, and that they did not properly assess her when she first got there. So they had, you know, a variety of claims for the elder abuse. Wow. So they, the lawyer says uh, for the family, he said he hopes, hopes this sends a message to not only just Timber Ridge but other assisted living facilities that they need to comply with uh, safety regulations that are manda- mandated by state law. If you – you, you know, my dad was still alive. He was in one of these places. And I remember every time I would go there, <clears throat> when you walk up to the front door – you have to press, like, a doorbell, and there's, like, a video. This place had a video thing, a little uh, screen there, so they could see who I was. I had to say who I was, who I was there to see, and they would let me in. But almost every time I went in, there was someone standing there right by the door, ready to bolt out the front door as soon as I opened it. And it, So a lot of these people, and, and the people told me inside, the nurses and stuff, that, yeah, they had people that would escape every now and then. They had to go, you know, track them down. they find them. You know, down down the road, they find them in a ditch, they find them in a restaurant. And, you know, they it's a, it's a tough position that they're put in when you have people with that kind of uh, dementia issues. Hmm.
0: What a nightmare. Um, and, you know, something, the, the jury must have really been offended by these places. And and I might, I believe, that 2.1 million, I'm sorry, the 2.5 million in punitive damages, that wouldn't even be covered by insurance, right? That comes out Probably of Probably not.
1: Yeah, you can actually. You can insure yeah. against punitive damages in California. Yeah. It's prohibited by statute.
0: Exactly. So yeah. that's a that's a big message that that jury sent. That something they must have seen something that really. Got them going.
1: It just seems like a tough position they're in, though, you know, because, I mean, people with that level of dementia, there is a really high level of anxiety associated with it. On the other hand, you know, you can't can't very well tie these people to their beds or, you know, lock them in their rooms, right? And so it seems like kind of a a tough position for the facility to be in because you have to treat them uh, humanely. On the other hand, you have all these safety issues that are occasioned by their condition. Just seems like a really uh, like a rock in a hard place with respect to some of these facilities. But obviously, there must have been something more serious going on there to to warrant that kind of punitive damage award. Yeah, one of the, one of the things was they they this family paid twelve hundred dollars
2: for the initial assessment to assess her level of dementia, and even though they paid the twelve hundred dollars, that assessment was never done. And on top of that, they were paying five thousand dollars a month in rent. Um, hmm. And so I think I think jurors just got really upset and pissed off.
1: Yeah, apparently so.
0: That is really sad. Well, I hope they make some changes. Uh, I I think we won't know what really happened because I I don't think a jury would award $2.5 million of punitive damages for somebody forgetting to lock the door. So there must be something that, that got them, you know, offended. Well, let's move on. You're listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio, and we're going to move on to Robert Ryan's story about a lawsuit seeking $350 million of damages for a 2014 crash that injured a California Highway Patrol trooper. What happened,
1: Robert? Well, this was a crash back in 2014 on the 14 freeway right here in uh, northern Los Angeles County, where Cusick uh, where Law is situated, um, up on the uh, north of Mojave, um, when uh, a tractor-trailer uh, operated uh, on behalf of CRST, which is uh, Cedar Rapids Storage and Transit, I believe. It's a big moving and shipping company uh, based out of Iowa, uh, crossed over the center line and crashed head-on into a vehicle traveling the other way. Uh, occupied by a California Highway Patrol officer named Michael Lennig and his brother Matthew. Um, Now, it turned out, however, that the driver of that vehicle, Hector Contreras, had had multiple drug possession and DUI convictions prior to being hired on at CRST. And even though he had only worked for CRST uh, barely seven months at the time of this crash, he had had four prior accidents with the company. Um, So they filed this lawsuit alleging that, you know, not only was Mr. Contreras uh, negligent, obviously, in causing his vehicle to cross the center line and cause this head-on crash, but that CRST, you know, is grossly negligent and, in fact, should be uh, held accountable for punitive damages for its failure to have adequately investigated Mr. Contreras' background for allowing him to, mean to stay on the road and operate this vehicle after these four prior accidents, uh, for failing to follow its own procedures, which required that he have a co-pilot or a co-driver with him uh, during a probationary period once he was hired, and failing to file its, follow its own procedures with respect to certain uh, defensive driving courses and other types of restrictions that should have been imposed on him following those four prior accidents. Um, so this lawsuit is now filed um, on behalf- by the Paris Law Firm, another firm here in Ca- Lancaster. We're pretty f- familiar with them, and they're our colleagues here, um, seeking punitive damages of $350 million from CRST, CR- as well as for compensatory damages for the serious injuries these two uh, individuals suffered um, Uh, The the passenger, uh, Matthew, suffered a traumatic brain injury and uh, spinal fractures, and, I mean, it was a really serious crash, and uh, it's interesting because it it points out, you know, we have these big companies, and you have uh, these these interstate shipping companies with these tractor trailers, and uh, it's a big business. It's a huge business but many times, you know, the operators of those vehicles aren't the most qualified or the most experienced people like you would expect. Um, many of them, uh, it's a second or third career. Many of them do have, uh, uh, criminal convictions. Uh, many of them don't have the kind of training or experience behind the wheel that you would expect, uh, for driving something that is so inherently dangerous as one of those tractor trailers. And, uh, You know, it points out the kind of liability that these companies, you know, can face and maybe should face when they put these big rigs on the road and they have operators who just aren't, you know, adequately qualified or supervised, uh, and then horrific crashes like this result.
0: Absolutely. You know, and CRST, they have a – their revenues are a billion and a half a year. That's a big company. They can – 350 million bucks, it sounds like a lot. Of course, it's a lot of money. But remember, punitive damages are damages designed to punish the offender and deter them and others like them from this type of bad conduct it's not just negligence it's that they they engaged in something that's beyond negligence and 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 gets to the level of recklessness um so that's probably where that that figure is coming from um,
2: Robert I have a question when when sure. we have cases when we have cases against trucking companies you know I, You try to get uh, the driver's driving record and whatever has happened in his driving
1: history with that company, right? Well, when I ever have a case like this, that's the first place I look, you know. Not only do I take the deposition, obviously, of the driver, but, you know, you take the deposition of company personnel. You require the production of his driving record. You require the production of the policies and procedures that they have for supervising and for hiring and for retaining drivers, Right? Um, you, you subpoena the DOT logs because these drivers are required to keep logs of how long they're driving versus how long they're resting. Um, and it's like it's nine times out of ten under these circumstances that I find out that there's some horrible misstep that has occurred. Either the driver has some horrible uh, accident record. Or criminal convictions for drugs or drinking, um, there, there you you find out that there's violations in the DOT log that he has he's been violating the regulations concerning how long he was supposed to be driving versus how long he was supposed to be resting, or the the log itself is falsified, or the log isn't complete or isn't or isn't uh, filled in. I mean, it's just the whole concept of how these these drivers get the get and keep these dry these jobs, it's really changed over over time. You know, truck driving used to be like a pretty honorable profession in this country, and many of them were unionized through the Teamsters, you know, but lately – or more recently, most of these companies have gone to independent contractors. And so even the ones who retain their own drivers on salary as employees sort of have faced with the fact that, you know, the quality of the applicant pool and the quality of the driving pool is much less because it's a very difficult economic job to make a go of. You know, independent contractors are paid a flat rate. They have to pay their taxes, their insurance, their fuel, all of these things out of it. They have to upkeep their rigs, Um, these, these brokers. These freight brokers who control this business are constantly forcing the rates lower and lower and lower because there's competition with rail and all and boats and all these other stuff, you know, and so these, the, a lot of these truckers are really having a tough time making ends meet economically, so most anybody who can do something else has kind of left that business, and so even for places like CRST, who who pay their drivers' salaries and have them actually on the payroll, not as independent contractors, um, are faced with like an applicant pool and a, a sort of a source of employees that is just not up to snuff compared to how it's been historically. And so more and more, I think you're seeing that behind these accidents involving tractor trailers is some serious deviation from the policies or procedures of the company or from training or just, you know, from a history of accidents or drug or alcohol abuse, and it's really getting to be a serious, serious problem in this country. And we know that from our own experience here at Kuzak Law because many times, I'd say most of the time, when we have an accident involving a commercial driver, we find that there's some issue like this lurking in the background that was a direct cause of the of the crash amazing hey, do they do they give up those documents easily or do you have to fight for them uh you know they they it's obviously something that they try to conceal that they hope you don't ask for in the right way or that they, you know, they're going to try to stonewall you. But, you know, basically it's something that is discoverable if you make the right allegations in your lawsuit. And since we're so experienced at these types of cases here, we know kind of the ins and outs and what to ask for and how to ask for it and to overcome the roadblocks that, putting, that are put up so that we can do the best job for our clients. Yeah,
0: you know, they're going to fight. They're going to fight tooth and nail because they don't want to get you. They don't want you to get that information. But you got to fight yeah. and you got to get it. Yeah. And in this case, you know that the driver's record is going to be really critical in terms of the punitive damages. I mean, obviously the guy is guilty on the. Uh, he's negligent. They're negligent. There's no question. They're they're responsible for the damages that they caused. But the punitive damages, you got to show this pattern and and the. Reckless disregard by the company. Let's move on. You're listening to Kuzakwa's Fighting for Justice Radio, and we have one last story. Mark Leonardo has it: a a sticks drummer, bloodied fan with drumstick to the face. Tell us about this.
2: Right, you you know, as you know, bands for years and years have been throwing uh, guitar picks, drumsticks, and other stage paraphernalia into the crowds, but this was kind of a freak accident where the drummer from the band sticks threw his drumstick out there and he hit this woman in the face. Her name is Lori Frederick, and uh, so she's now suing the, the drummer, whose name is Todd Zuckerman, Zuckerman, and uh, as well as the band and, and their corporation, claiming that he negligently threw a drumstick into the audience during the performance and um, that, she, that he failed to timely and give proper warning to allow her to fully protect herself from injury. That sounds kind of funny. You know, hmm. you ever see a say, hey, I'm going to throw this stick out in the audience now?
1: No, no, what kind, I'm just wondering, what kind of injuries uh, is she claiming to have suffered from this drumstick
2: to the face? Well, she said she got hit in the face and she was bleeding and it ruined her clothes and she didn't get the benefit of her concert tickets. And that she was mm. unable to register for a, a 10K race that she was planning to do and she's lost, uh, she has medical expenses and lost income. It seems like quite a reach for a, a drumstick yeah. injury.
0: It does. Yeah. Isn't there some issue of maybe uh, assumption of the risk? You know, you go to this, these concerts and you know they 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 throw out T-shirts and balls and you know drumsticks. I guess uh, I guess they could argue that you know it's 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 a risk she assumed. But I don't know. I would I wouldn't. I don't know. I,
1: I I went to a con- I went to a concert a couple of weeks ago with uh, one of my sons, and uh, it was a rap concert, and the the rapper on the stage just like took off at a running start and just launched himself into the crowd. I mean, just like leapt off of the stage like six feet into the crowd and like landed on about a dozen people. <laughs> and he, was, he It was a big man, too. He wasn't like some little slender guy, you know? And I was thinking, oh, my God, he could have like crippled somebody really right. you know, i remember looking at this thinking oh my god i'm glad i wasn't standing there or if, he, if i had been i certainly would have backed up in a hurry i don't care if he hit the ground or not but all right. these people you know they all like they caught him and they were shouting and they were throwing him up in the air and all this kind of business you know but uh i mean compared to that of course the drumstick seems like a relatively mild you know implement right. to be tossed into a crowd what, but it's
0: you
2: know, funny that it you a mentioned a thing to do but, though yeah. you about 10 years ago Rick Springfield remember him Jesse's girl sure that song. anyway he jumped he fell into a crowd or he jumped into a crowd kind of like what you're saying I'm guessing and he landed on someone's head and the the lady she she sued and uh, he had some kind of funny comments he said he, he goes you know I work out but I didn't think my ass is that hard and he jokes he now jokes that his butt is a weapon of mass destruction <laughs> so And and then there's uh, Rod Stewart. He's been sued before because he used to be a soccer player. Actually, he still is. Um, And he would kick soccer balls out into the crowd. And a couple years ago at Caesars Palace, he kicked the ball out into the into the audience and hit some guy in the nose and broke his nose, and that guy brought a lo- lawsuit. So
1: Well, it's you know, interesting because, risk. you know, most people, I imagine most people at the sticks crowd, they would have been dying to get their hands on that right. drumstick, right? Exactly. I mean, it's right. like people fight over, the, like, the most meaningless trinkets if they're tossed from a stage into a crowd, right? You know, I mean, just, just look at a, a ball game where they, they hit a baseball, a foul ball goes into the stadium, right. like 15 people, like, break their trout strangle each other trying to get their hands on the ball, right? Something you could down, go down to the store and buy from like, you know, two bucks, right? So you know, it's kind of some, ironic.
0: There's probably yeah. some, some cases on, on people getting seriously injured at ballparks, but I think there's a difference because in a ballpark, part of the game, you know, everybody knows you're hitting a ball and it might go into the stands and maybe you might catch it and maybe it might you in the forehead and, and cause damage. Um, but throwing a drumstick, you know, you're taking a stick with a pointy end and you're throwing it at somebody uh, it could totally poke somebody's eye out. It could cause some serious damage. I think it's kind of a stupid thing to do. And I have to say that I don't go to concerts very often. And if I did, I would be very shocked if somebody threw a any kind of musical instrument out into the crowd like that. Um, but if people know about it, uh, it's I, I guess that's something. But it's it's a little bit different because the person throwing the drumstick is voluntarily doing something that's dangerous and not part of the music itself. You don't need to throw it out in the crowd and, and put people at risk.
1: Well, Reed, you know, now that I heard that comment, you'll poke your eye out. I think we can probably not expect to see you down at the local sticks concert.
0: Oh, you will never <laughs> see. At least me not in the first few rows. <laughs> <laughs> me at a concert like
2: that. that is
1: you'll, you'll poke your eye out. <laughs> it's more like, you know, that's like the famous the dad's banana.
2: last word,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to a Chopin concert or Mozart or something. All right, well, that's all fun. Let's uh, move on. We have very interesting guests today. Uh, we are lucky to have with us uh, the Solano County Criminal Defense Attorney Stacy Barnett. Uh, we can learn more about her by visiting her website at m a a s c r i m i n a l defense d e f e n s e dot com. And Miss Barrett, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you for inviting me.
0: I, I find this case really interesting. You were representing Joseph Schwab, and he was the subject of one of my rants uh, earlier <laughs> in, in, a, in a former in a different uh, show where I was just livid that the Solano district attorney's office would bring charges against this poor guy and and force him to incur attorney's fees and stress defending himself against criminal charges for driving, get this, driving under the influence of caffeine. <laughs> it's just That's so funny. That's
3: correct, and I, I ranted a few times about it myself. <laughs>
0: what was this? Look. I came to the conclusion that this was not about charging somebody for driving under the influence of caffeine. This was about somebody getting pissed off and abusing their government granted power and harassing this guy. Now didn't didn't he didn't the person who pulled him over think that he wasn't there some kind of a altercation like he cut mm-hmm. them off or something?
3: What yeah, happened? well that's that's the first part of the case that is unusual, which is that um, it was an ABC agent, so alcohol beverage control agent, who was right. in an unmarked car who pulled him over. And her report starts with, yes, he, uh, that's what drew her attention to him is that he cut her off. Um, and I agree with you that that was her angle, that she was angry um, at him and everything that happened after that was filtered through um, her anger. Um, it's road rage. What I don't understand. Yeah, exactly. What I, don't I, understand I wasn't even aware that office. ABC
1: agents had the authority to, like, make traffic mm-hmm. stops. Yeah. Do they have a red light well,
3: or something? Uh, well, I don't think all of them do, but some of them are peace officers, and this particular um, hmm. agent is. Um, and that's something that I've actually continued to look into, though, is how she does this. Um, and I'm told that it may have been as often as uh, 29 times. Um, that she's pulled people over um, in she's the last year. Got a red year. light
0: in her car or something?
3: It it is. I think it's one of those lights that um, they can put on their dash. Um, right. And in this case, okay. the only reason I mean I don't think my client was cued into the fact that she was trying to pull him over until she started using her public address system and directing him. Um, and then I think that's when uh, things escalated as well is uh, he was like, are you even a cop? Like, who right. are you? And I don't think she really liked him questioning her authority that way. Um, i got to tell you, I am not the pulled reason- over. I would have driven to the I would
0: I would have gotten on my phone. I would have called 911. I would have found the nearest police station and driven into the police station some unmarked yes. car. I
3: I would not have pulled over and it's interesting cuz Joseph actually did find it so unusual that he did he called his wife and actually had her on the phone um while it was going on. He just had his phone sitting on the passenger seat so she heard the whole thing. Is is he going to
0: is Have you looked into suing this woman for abusing her power or some kind of civil rights violation, something?
3: Yes, we are actually, um, we've talked to several different civil lawyers. um, So that is something that he is definitely considering. Um, And not just against her, but also um, potentially the DA's office. Because even when they eventually dismissed the case, uh, or that charge, they didn't dismiss the reckless driving charge. We had to um, litigate that, um, and a judge ultimately dismissed that for violating his due process rights because of the lengthy delays in prosecuting the case. But the DA, even when they were uh, issuing press releases dismissing the case, they claimed that it wasn't about caffeine, although that was, they conceded that's the only evidence they had of any substance in its system. Um, they said that they had consulted with some unknown expert, they never named that expert, who said that it was highly likely that he was under the influence of a drug, which they never named, and that they didn't test for that drug. And that is probably the, one of the most offensive aspects of this, is that they could not prove the charge. They knew they couldn't prove the charge. They were dismissing it, and yet they continued to say that he was high without any evidence.
0: Um, which is hugely that. embarrassing.
3: Exactly. Hugely and embarrassing. Hugely about how, you know, the this, this second arrest, so he was taken to jail twice for this, which I find so hmm. offensive as well. The ABC That's right. They arrested, uh, at work,
0: they arrested right? him at work, right? In front of all of his colleagues.
3: Yeah, so the, the ABC agent took him to jail. Then um, he was released um, on his own recognizance, so without having to post bail that time. He never heard anything. Um, ten months uh, go by before they even filed a charge. Um, and the statute of limitations for a misdemeanor is a year, so they were bumping up against that. They filed the charge. Um, they send notice to the wrong address. So they they knew what his address was. He had given his correct address to the um, ABC agent. It was in her report. He had it, you know, updated with the DMV, and yet they sent it to some address he had six years ago. So he never knew about his court date. Of course, he didn't show up for the date he didn't know about, and uh, they issued a warrant, even though the letter to appear. Um, that told him to appear in court was returned to the court file. So when the warrant issued, they had evidence that he didn't receive notice, and yet they still issued a warrant, and he was arrested on that warrant on his way to work in front of several of his coworkers. They
1: actually sent cops out on a
3: misdemeanor arrest warrant like that? No, it wasn't uh, on a warrant. It was uh, he got pulled over um, for a minor traffic violation. And oh, and they ran him and they found the warrant, sorry. so they took him into custody yeah. then?
1: I got you. Yeah. Okay. and
3: then he had to post bail um, that time because it was like a $7,500 warrant. Um, <laughs> and that For the failure to appear because they sent it
1: to the, the wrong case. address. Oh, my God.
3: Yes. Is it? I mean, it was just – Where a, did they – do you think –
1: Look,
0: the way I look at this, it seems like there's intent here. They they trump up these charges driving while well under the influence of caffeine, and they it's clear that this whole thing started because of road rage and some government employee all full of herself decided mm-hmm. oh I'm going to arrest this guy and show him who I am uh, for cutting me off, and she just dreamed up these things. Then the district attorney does not exercise proxy prosecutorial discretion and see what this is and they accidentally send it to a six-year-old address i mean doesn't that seem like it's intentional don't you think a jury would would look at that with cross eyes
3: i i think so i mean everybody that i talk to about the case is so offended by the uh, all of the failures there were numerous failures in the system um and that's why i find the case so interesting um because uh, these are abuses that I regularly see in my practice um, as a criminal defense attorney, but this is a case that a lot almost everybody can relate to right because most adults drive with caffeine in their systems um, and so it's an easy way to um talk to people about these abuses of power that I regularly see. And um, the interesting thing um, about um, the case, too, is that I feel even more confident um, that officers' report was um, inaccurate um, because at the last minute, all of a sudden, um, you know, even though we were set for trial on January 11th, um, you know, days before they ultimately dismissed the case, they – the district attorney um, provided me with video evidence um, that some of uh, the Fairfield police officers who came to cover um, the ABC agent had body cams, um, and so for the first time I was able to actually see some of what happened. Um, I found it offensive that they hadn't provided that to me from the beginning of the case. Right. <laughs> I don't know what right. that was all. Isn't about that very common though that they wait till the last it. minute
1: to give you that, give you their discovery? That's pretty common. Right?
3: Not usually video evidence. Um, That's usually pretty – it's something we request immediately, um, and it's unusual that they wouldn't know. I I got the impression that they didn't know that it existed because there was nothing mentioned in the ABC officer's report. Um, And anyway, like, I watched the video and I was just stunned because it's so – like, for example, doing these field sobriety tests he says very clearly at the beginning on the video that, look, I have, like, 12 screws in my um, heel, so I'll do these tests, but, like, I can't really balance um, that well. Um, I've been, in, you know, injured. Um, that was not in the report anywhere, which, of course, would be important information regarding how accurate these tests were. Um, and would explain why, um, you know, he, he may have exhibited some of the cues she was looking for, and that just nothing about it in the report. That's just, you know, one example of the many inaccuracies. So I'm hoping that with the video um, that there may be some sort of cause of action. But as you guys probably know, as lawyers, there's a lot of government immunity um, that yeah. we'd have to get around. And I'm not an expert by any means. I don't do civil law. So um, I'm just, I know that we're up against that but um the other thing that i wanted to tell you because you guys are lawyers and will appreciate this is one of my strategies um when they wouldn't dismiss it which i just assumed they would really at the first court date i thought this was going to be a nothing case just of course you're going to dismiss right. it it doesn't it doesn't require a law degree to know that you can't prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt right so i was right. shocked when they wouldn't dismiss it and so i immediately um, pulled my time waiver. Um, So in a misdemeanor, you have a right to have a trial within 30 days because the second test that actually um, showed the caffeine, that lab was in Pennsylvania. And that was the other thing I was like, even if you could prove somehow that caffeine is a drug and that he was under the influence and it impaired him somehow, like you're really going to fly a witness out from Pennsylvania?
1: Their That's expert witness was three thousand like, miles away on a misdemeanor yeah, charge? I was just
3: like, <laughs> I said that. I was just like, what? this is ridiculous. Like, you know, you have to bring that analyst here. And, like, you're not going to do that in this case. Just dismiss it. And they were like, nope. We're still, they, they kept saying, we're still investigating. I'm like, after 15 months? Like, what are you investigating? And of course there never was any additional evidence that they provided. Um so the whole thing was just it was a comedy of errors except for the fact that my client really suffered because of it.
2: Yeah, not too fun for him. No.
3: That's
2: a lot of money, right? He had spent a lot Yeah, of what money did him to
3: do Yeah, I mean I it definitely it was uh out of pocket, you know, his uh well he had to go to jail twice, which there's no real money value can put on like the humiliation and the, um, and he'd
0: never been in jail before, frustration
3: by that. Um, no, (laughs) he had been in jail
0: before, but
3: still, it has been a long time. It has been a really long time. I I will say it was Um, the
0: first time. I mean, I've never been in jail, uh, at least not as a, uh, a resident. I I have been (laughs) in jail to visit a client and Uh even then it was a little stressful. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, to be, if I, if if somebody brought me into a jail cell, that would be a really horrible experience, and I don't care right. about any reason. I would be absolutely stressed out and and unhappy about that. So
3: well, you and know, also that's a big this is really difficult for him because, um, you know, he kept telling everybody he was innocent and you know, people are skeptical of that with DUIs especially. Um, and so right. he kept telling people, like, look, yeah. I wasn't on anything, I promise. And they were just like, okay, yeah. Um, so he right. had, to, had to take the lab results to his boss and show him, like, I, I told you I wasn't doing drugs. Because at, at one point they were like, okay, we'll just take responsibility for it. And he's like, no, because I didn't do it. Um, so he took that in, but he lost, uh, opportunities at overtime and stuff because he's a union um, glazier, so he installs glass um, in like high rises in San Francisco, and you know couldn't use the company truck. There were all sorts of um, uh, damage, uh, tangible and intangible damages, I would say, to his reputation and financially, for sure.
0: I, I want the Solano County District Attorney's Office to pay i want them to <laughs> suffer i want them to suffer like he did and i am so offended and i'm glad that you're looking into it i want you to keep us informed seriously and i want to get your email address yeah, I, and
3: will. And I
0: want to know what I, the heck I, is going on
3: i will and i actually what was interesting to me and important to me is that after i pulled the time waiver of course my next move was to immediately find the court reporter uh, or the you know, local newspaper reporter who covers the courts and yes. tell them about it because uh, I didn't realize it was going to um, become national news at that point. I just wanted the people in Solano to know um, what their uh, district attorney, who's an elected official, is doing, um, right. how she's exercising her discretion and authority, how they're spending the taxpayers' money, and that was really um, uh, heartening to me is that, of course, all the readers of the local paper saw right through it and, and how absurd it was. Right. Um, and so that's how I think it's important that district attorneys are, are held accountable to their constituents as well. Has there,
2: any, has there been any backlash to you from the DA's office because you made this all public?
3: Um, <laughs> actually, yes, I think there has been. Um, yeah. But there's also a lot of DAs who agreed with me and thought that it was totally ridiculous. So, yeah. um, But, no, I mean, I, I would say it was, it's more the um, une- inexperienced uh, deputies um, than the ones who have been around and just know that I'm doing my job.
0: If the, if the prosecutors hate you as a criminal defense attorney, that means you're doing a fantastic job.
3: <laughs> right. One of my mentors, <laughs> you know? actually, like when I first started, <laughs> when I was uh, – a young attorney. We were having a conversation because I'd gotten into it with a prosecutor, and you know, he he sat me down and he just said, you know, Stacy is like, um, don't worry about being liked. He's like, you just worry right. about being respected. Um yeah. They're if you're doing a good job, they're not always going to like you, um, but right. you need to to be respected, and that was really good advice. And that's how I've always felt um, in my dealings. I want to be professional, um, but Uh, if I'm doing a good job then yes it probably will make them uncomfortable at times
0: well it sounds like you did a great job handling that for your client and even though he was dragged through it it was it could have been much worse and you got it dismissed Um, but I I, again I want you to keep us informed about what's Uh happening and get him you know a good lawyer or you know talk to us one way or the other I I want that yeah. And I want to tell you, I you hear the passion in my voice. I, this pisses me off. And I am actually, I have just started the process of getting a ballot, uh, an initiative on the 2018 ballot in California. I'm very serious about this. And it is going to be called the Government Accountability Act. And it's going to stop that sovereign immunity garbage. It's going to make it so that it basically is a very simple law. And it says if the government... Does something illegal or violates your rights, the government is responsible for all damages, approximately caused plus attorney fees. And mm-hmm. the, it, what's happened in our in this state is that government has gotten so big, and they are so powerful, they have no downside when they totally step on people, and they've forgotten about the US constitution and the state constitution and the fact that people have rights and the government are supposed to preserve and protect those rights and government like politicians they take an oath of office where they promise on under oath to to uphold the constitution and that includes personal private rights and when mm-hmm. they falsely arrest you and when they bring up false evidence and this is such a clear case of just road rage. Some girl got pissed off at the, the works for for Alcoholic Alcoholic beverage control, do you say? And um yeah. They she
3: decided, oh. "Oh, I can pull this guy over." That's ridiculous. And all you she had to be be do is Google her. All you had to do is Google her, and I did tell the um co- the prosecutor that she had been sued in 2010 along with an SF uh PD San Francisco um police department officer um because they were um They were undercover harassing um, people in um, the nightclub scene. And they had actually um, been arrested for – they tried to pursue a racketeering theory, which I thought was kind of interesting, um, against these two for false arrest, batteries. Apparently they were taking – arresting people um, falsely, especially people who had complained about them and taking their property and being extremely aggressive. And so I told them that from the beginning. I said, you know, this, this, there's credibility issues here, um, and uh, it, it didn't seem to matter. Um, so I'll definitely vote for that initiative, and I'm very happy that recently the uh, law had changed so that prosecutors can be criminally charged for withholding exculpatory evidence. Um, I think that's a move in the right direction. Absolutely. And uh, I, I agree. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes... Um, on the other side, like I, and as a defense attorney, I, I have clients, you know. District attorneys don't, and I sometimes think they forget the humanity of my clients and that these are real people who are suffering based on their actions. And in this case, it's like just admit you made a mistake, you know. Yeah, like, it happens. Just admit you made a mistake. Like right. that's all. And that's what, instead of doing that, it's like they double down right. um, until there was – scrutiny from the media and then they finally backed off and that's not right um you know that's not what their ethical obligation is it's not to win it's to seek justice um and and that's what what i have a problem with in this case well i had a lot of problems with this case yeah i bet (laughs) well i
0: appreciate you coming on the show and i wish you're talking to you Best of luck to you. Best of luck to Mr. Schwab. Tell him we say hello and we're with him and are I and he, him. You know
3: what? He was he was great because even so, they dismissed the DUI, um, but wouldn't dismiss the reckless. And at the last minute, they, you know, came to me um, and said, you know, we'll we'll dismiss the reckless if he pleads to two infractions. And he was like, Nah, let's just go forward with the motion to dismiss. Yeah. Um, so I was really I was proud of him for that because he felt wronged. Um, oh, and, yeah, sure. and he was just like, sure. yeah, no, we we'll go to trial on this one. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, Good he, for you. he's a great guy, and uh, I'm really glad it it worked out for him. Yeah, I am too. But it
0: didn't. You know, it, it, in the right, end, right, what happened was right. Wright, but he he went through hell. And
3: yeah, you can't. And, uh, idea, I will.
0: Right? You can't. And I will. I will enjoy hearing an update uh, on on the amount. <laughs> <laughs> images, you know, something. I want that guy fired, you know, the person has decided to keep that prosecution going. And that woman
3: yeah, I hear from you.
0: the Alcoholic Beverage Control, she needs to be off the street. That's ridiculous.
3: I know. I know. I, I agree. I'm, that's what I said. I'm not um, giving up, digging into all these people she's pulling over, because that, that has to be outside the scope of her duties. I mean, they're compliance officers. They're not law enforcement, like, traffic Cops. there's like she's focusing on like officer. liquor licenses and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's dangerous to pull people over in unmarked cars. That's not.
0: I'm telling you, it, I. That's very dangerous. It, I would not pull over. I would. I would go to a. I would just call the. You call nine one one. You know. Well, I you, 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 you
3: know what? the other thing. Is I've actually gotten contacted by several CHP officers, and they said that the protocol in that situation, if she suspected that somebody was driving under the influence, is to call them and report it, and then they will come and handle it um, instead of intervening herself. Um, and that is what should have happened if she did feel like there was some sort of public safety risk. Um, but she wanted to confront him herself because she was angry, in my opinion.
0: So. It was rage. It's, you know, rage. And, yeah. and that's the beauty of this. Everybody will see that. Your guy knows mm-hmm. it, and now all of his friends know it, and a jury will know it if you get it in front of a jury.
3: Yeah. So it's, I, I hope that happens. Um, I, I'm interested you. to see as well. Maybe we'll have to wait yeah. for your initiative, though, <laughs> to pass. No, I don't can, think so. We no, can get damages. So. No, no,
0: there's already a law. On this one, there is a law. If the government brings charges and then drops them, you can, there's a motion that you could file to get attorney's fees, although the court's idea of reasonable attorneys' fees might differ from reality. Uh, So there is that. And um, I have – I had a client that got arrested on a securities fraud charge, and the prosecutor uh, admitted that he lied to the judge in order to get the warrant to tap the phones or something like that. And they uncovered all kinds of prosecutorial misconduct and after fourteen months of being in jail because they wouldn't give him bail, they wow. dropped the charges. Wow. So uh there's a lawsuit pending on that one and mm. I'll be very interested to see what happens. I'm not handling that, but um
3: Yeah. Well you keep me updated very... on that, okay?
0: Yeah, I will. I will. All right, all right well thanks for well, joining thank you the so show. Much We're for so over. Me. I appreciate it. But uh <laughs> I look forward to talking to you some more and again give us give our regards to Joseph and we're going to wrap the show up with that and thank you very right, much for listening you. again this is uh fighting for justice and we'll catch you next time Thanks for listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio with Robert, Mark, and Reed. Remember to check us out at kuziklaw.com. That's kuziklaw.com. Each week, we analyze civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and all legal current events. Thanks for listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio.